Welcome to Living the Abundant Life podcast. A friend recently asked me, is this a podcast for women? I laughed and said, well, no, actually it's not. I mean, I'm a woman and maybe my stories might connect more with a female audience. But you know, my heart's desire is to share truth, to grow in the knowledge of God's word and the expectation of his promises to come to pass in our lives. And that's for everyone. But I did recently have the honor of sharing at my home church, Northland's annual Refresh Conference. And I just am praying that you find courage and confidence in this word, that you, my friend, were made for more than meager. You were made to live a life of abundance. nothing I love more than a room full of my girlfriends. So I'm on cloud nine. This is my jam. (laughs) Welcome. I'm so glad you're here tonight. I would just love to open in prayer. Jesus, thank you for tonight, Lord. Thank you just for adjusting our schedules and allowing us to say yes, to come, to be in your presence, to be among our girls, to hear from you, Lord, to position our hearts to receive something fresh. Lord, we just turn our attention to you. We say, Holy Spirit, move. Jesus, speak. You have center stage, Lord. Move in our hearts. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I get the privilege to talk about one of my favorite topics, living abundantly. God is on the move tonight to dislodge some lies that we've carried for far too long about lack and replace them with the the truth that Jesus died to give us life to the full. The invitation for each of us this weekend is to flourish in every season, in every circumstance. You may be dealing with some difficult circumstances right now, and maybe the word abundance kind of sounds like nails on a chalkboard. I get it. But the truth is, this invitation to flourish is for you too. I, I love this quote. I read it this week in a vlog by Propel Women. It says, God is infinitely richer than any season you find yourself in. Seasons help us embrace the God who has greater things in store for us than we can possibly imagine. So as I was praying, I had this picture, and for me, when the Lord gives me pictures, it's often with a little girl, and um, it just kind of takes me back, just to the purity, that childlike faith, that purity of a little girl and her dad. So I saw a picture of a little girl, and she's looking down at her feet, eyes downcast, maybe heavy with disappointment or discouragement or shame. And I see the father take his hand, and he starts to tip her chin. Tip her chin up from staring at her feet, staring down with that heaviness. Tipping her chin up to where she's eye level, maybe seeing a lot of obstacles in front of her, the mountains of lack and limitation. But the father so gently continues to tip her chin up until she's gazing in his eyes, and she sees the love and acceptance. She sees herself in his eyes. Hebrews 12.2 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. In him we find faith to embrace all of the promises of God that we see in scripture, even the too good to be true ones, the abundant, the immeasurably more, like ceaseless joy and peace beyond understanding, the ones that are kind of hard to comprehend, especially in difficult times. Our promised inheritance of abundance is not merely the satiation of lack, it is the immeasurably more of Ephesians 3. 
I'm excited to kind of share what I'm learning. I'm, I'm sharing from a place of process, um, but what I'm learning, what it means to define abundance, to expect abundance, and then to access abundance. But in order to act, ex expect and access abundance, we kind of need to get on the same page of what it looks like. John Tenton says, the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. We know that part. But I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. We know the enemy's agenda pretty well, steal, kill, destroy. But do we fully embrace Christ's agenda, which was to give us everything in abundance, not only, which is pretty awesome, eternal security in heaven, acceptance and love, but also the riches of his nature and his resources this side of heaven. Let's take a minute and clarify exactly what we mean by abundance. Abundance does not just equate to rich. That is an immature and incomplete definition of, um, it's an incomplete understanding in the natural of a supernatural promise, right? God loves to favor and bless us material materially. Absolutely. He did not promise we would all be millionaires, but he did promise that in Christ we would flourish in all seasons, in all circumstances. So that's an expectation that we can get around because that's in the word of God. Satan's been on a mission to steal our inheritance, the riches of God's grace, his resources that are available to us. We aren't slaves, we're daughters. Sometimes I think we circle around the courts thinking we don't have a place in our daddy's throne room. We do. We are daughters, which means that we have full access to dad's riches. Some of us have signed for a package of meager living, agreeing that poverty and lack is our portion, a lack of health, a lack of self-esteem, a lack of resources, a lack of friends, a lack of peace in our homes. Or maybe it's a lack of passion, striving to find contentment in a less than fulfilling circumstance or situation. Some of us have settled for poverty instead of abundance because we think it's what we deserve, or maybe somehow it's like more righteous or humble, or maybe because no one's told us of the overflowing life available to us in Christ. The dream of God for you is to abound in grace to overflow in all areas, in all circumstances. Webster defines abundance, hold please, as extremely plentiful and oversufficient supply and overflowing fullness. Abundance comes from the Latin word that means a wave that overflows. So in my mind, I picture that as an infinity pool. The water just keeps cascading down each side of that pool. More than enough. Abundance goes beyond surviving, beyond incremental growth. It is overgrowth. Abundance is found in the flourishing. A garden that is flourishing is dense. It's full, full of life. It's overtaken by beauty. That's God's dream for you. So for me, there's a spectrum of abundance that I kind of think is helpful to kind of get a picture of what does abundance look like. So I want to walk you through this. So the, on one side of the spectrum is surviving. It's that meager living. It's the wilted plant. Meager provision allows us to just survive. Meagerness is just barely enough, but not enough to thrive. 
So for me, in my story, meagerness has looked like insecurity, um, believing that people tolerate me, but don't truly delight in me. I'm a little too much, a little too intense. I've heard that said before. I've carried this lack of security into every one of my friendships and relationships since I was a little girl. It is a heavy lie to carry, and I've watched it torment relationships, as well as my own self-esteem and confidence. Meagerness for me has looked like shame. Just enough grace to be counted as a daughter, but one who the father's disappointed in. My lack of perfect performance throughout my life has led to some painful life choices, reinforce what I believed was meager acceptance by my heavenly father. I knew I was a daughter, but I believed that I just barely had enough grace for him to look at me, but it wasn't in delight. Shame diminishes us. It causes us to shrink back and agree that we have been given just enough grace to secure eternity, but not enough to flourish in this life. For me, meagerness has also looked, during the darkest season of my story, it's looked like barely enough hope. Just enough for each day, but a massive lack of hope for a bright and fulfilling future. I believed I'd screwed up too much, gone off the path too far. A lack of security, a lack of a sense of true identity, a lack of awareness about the boundless grace of God towards us, a lack of hope for a good future, all of, us, all of that keeps us living meager, not thriving, just surviving. We were made for more than meager. This is not our portion. This is not our rightful inheritance. Meagerness is inconsistent with the infinite nature of God. Meagerness is inconsistent with the infinite nature of God. There is more, and intrinsically we know it. We hunger for freedom from lack. We know that we were made for more, and meagerness is a lie. It is a heavy burden. Deep down, we want to thrive, abounding in joy or hope or confidence or any manner of provision that we know we need. The next plant is the one that's sustained. It's satisfied. Provision that sustains is much like the manna that God provided the Hebrews each day as they wandered through the desert. They had what they needed. It wouldn't store up. They couldn't, like, keep it in a fridge for the next day. So the Lord graciously provided fresh manna every day. They lived trusting for just enough to be satisfied every day. And we celebrate manna miracles, the just, uh, the just enough miracles. We, we should. I mean, it's, it's great to celebrate those things. We get a check in the mail that's the exact amount of money of the unexpected bill. Praise God. Or we get that lateral job change, getting us out of a terrible situation with bad coworkers. But really, it's lateral. It doesn't really get to express, you know, our passions and our gifts. But, but we're still stoked. We're given just enough patience to get through each day of raising a strong-willed child. Can I get an amen? Um, we celebrate these blessings, and yet we start each day needing fresh manna. A lifestyle of living sustained is totally doable. It's just not glorious. It can feel frustrating or exhausting after a while. The Hebrews kind of began to complain. We get the same meal every day, Lord. Because they knew they were made for more. They were traveling somewhere. This was the desert and manna was not the destination. It was worthy of celebration every day. But they were headed somewhere to a land abounding with milk and honey. 
a lifestyle of sustaining was not their promised future, and it's not ours. Flourishing. It looks like the overgrowth, the extremely plentiful, overflowing fullness. It looks like a life that abounds with beauty and glory. It's what we ache for. It has the awe and wonder factor. Abundance inspires, which is exactly why it's God's plan for your life, to model the riches of his glory through abundant provision. Aren't you inspired by that grandma who is just abounding in kindness, never a curt word? You want to be her. There's something so inspirational when you see abundance played out in someone's life. God's plan for your life and mine is that we would be living object lessons, demonstrating the fullness of our salvation through Christ. Testimonies of abundant provision, testimonies of abundant financial provision that wipes out all debt, or testimonies of abundant healing where the body part actually heals better than it was before. That inspires us, and we see God in a new light. It has the awe and wonder factor. It's the too good to be true, the immeasurably more testimonies that shifts our perspectives and our expectations. This is what God wants to do in our lives and through us. Let's take a look at Psalm 91. If you have your Bibles, turn to it. Psalm 91, 15 and 16. I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. I'm really loving that translation of the Bible. I, use, I read it side by side with my NIV or ESV, and it, the words move my heart in a fresh way. I love how the Lord's speaking to me through it. Psalm 91, 15 and 16 says, I will be your glorious hero. I will give you a feast. You will be satisfied with a full life and with all that I do for you, for you will enjoy the fullness of my salvation. I spent 20 years of my Christian journey not aware or enjoying the fullness of my salvation. I just didn't know. I wasn't told. God wants us to enjoy the fullness of our salvation. Lack, bondage, all forms of limitation are in direct opposition to the provision, freedom, and fullness that our glorious hero, Jesus Christ, secured for us when he defeated that grave and rose to heaven. Feast, not famine, is our rightful inheritance as children of God. This is what abundance looks like. I will be your glorious hero, and I will give you a feast. What a promise. What an expectation. As we begin to get a picture of what abundance looks like, as we begin to try to wrap our mind about what, around what that kind of looks like, we begin to expect it more. I believe that expectations can be your greatest enemy or your greatest ally. Living in abundance requires that we set our expectations on Scripture rather than the, on the parameters offered us by a world that is limited by our experience, cause and effect, our personal failure. Expectations set the course for our experience. So if we expect more of the same, what we think we deserve, just enough, only what we can imagine is possible in the natural world, we often find our prayers small and our hearts distant from a loving Father and quietly begrudging the breakthrough we see in other people's lives. But when we tip our chin and gaze into the eyes of our Father and see who he wants to be to us personally, 
kind and gracious and generous. Suddenly our prayers get a little more audacious. Our hearts draw into his presence and hope and belief swell like that overflowing wave. We often believe in the general sense that God wants to bless people abundantly. We could maybe all nod and say, yeah, yeah, God wants to bless. He's a good God. We see it in scripture. But God is calling us today to own this on a personal level. If we don't believe abundance is for us personally, we will not expect it. If you do not believe that abundance is for you, it's your portion, it's your rightful inheritance, it is for you personally, then you won't expect it. I think deep down, we don't make it personal because shame tells us that our disobedience deserves poverty. Derek Prince wrote in a book called The Divine Exchange, poverty is a curse, God's provision is abundance. So in Deuteronomy 28, it's a chapter in the Old Testament, it's talking about the blessings and the curses do obedience or disobedience. So there's a set of rules called the law given to the Hebrews, and their adherence to the law, their obedience generated blessing, and God maps it out, what that's going to look like, clear set of expectations. Their disobedience also generated curses. And so we can, so we can see very clearly what obedience and disobedience created. It's so clear in that chapter that poverty is a curse. It's real clear. The chapter outlines these blessings, and I want to read it for you. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Deuteronomy 28. Um, they won't all come up here. I'm just going to read. So I'm going to start with the curses of poverty. Deuteronomy 28, verses 45 through 47. There's more. I just picked a few. We get the point. <laughs> all these curses will come on you. They will pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the Lord your God and observe the commands and decrees that he gave you. They will be a sign and wonder to you and your descendants forever because you did not serve the Lord joyfully and gladly in the time of prosperity. Therefore, in hunger, thirst, nakedness, and dire poverty, you will serve the enemies the Lord sends against you. He will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. Well, that's pretty terrible. <laughs> so the good part, Deuteronomy 28, 11 through 13. But just to be clear, that is what disobedience deserves. Disobedience warrants the curse. But the blessing, let's read that. 11 through 13. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, if you have any, the crops of your ground, in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you, the Lord will open the heavens, the storehouses of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord, I give you this day, and carefully follow them, you will always be on top and never at the bottom. Much better. Love that set of expectations. Yet, when I read the chapter, I have a very hard time putting myself in that category because I'm keenly aware of my imperfect perfection, imperfect performance. Right, so unless I'm always righteous, like, that's not my portion, right? But the truth is, I have really good news tonight. Jesus destroyed the poverty curse on the cross 
Jesus qualifies us for abundant provision and the blessings outlined in those verses. So let's look briefly, a brief overview of what these verses kind of said. So the curse of poverty we see there and blessing of abundance. While our disobedience warrants the curse, we deserve it, y'all. We've screwed up. We've sinned. We have been disobedient. This is what it warrants. Jesus' righteous obedience imparted to us through salvation brought us out from under an old covenant. So the law, it was an old covenant. And you had to adhere, follow the rules, and this is how you had a relationship with God. Jesus came, fulfilled the law, and established a new covenant, okay? So Jesus' righteous obedience, even unto death, he brings us out from under the curse of poverty, out from under the old covenant, and into a new covenant blessing. That is really good news. This is called the divine exchange. This is what Jesus accomplished on the cross. I think for many years, I just didn't really... Like I said, I didn't understand the fullness of my salvation. I didn't really know all that Christ did on the cross. I knew I was sinful. He died. Now I'm going to heaven. Fabulous overview. Very true. But there's more. And I think the more has been unfolding for me. Um, Jesus perfectly and completely fulfilled the poverty curse on the cross. He was, go back for just a second, please. He was made a fool I mean, he was killed for being completely blameless. They established that. He was made a fool, hungry and thirsty, literally asked for water while he was on the cross, right? Do you think he needed to? Or maybe he knew what he was fulfilling. I don't know. Naked, they cast lots for his robe, and in need of all things, literally was placed in a barred tomb. He perfectly fulfilled it. I mean, it excites me so much, his attention to detail. Every single one of the laws and, and the, the byproduct of the law, all of it was fulfilled through Jesus, which is what brings us under this blessing. All of these blessings are now our expectation because we believe in Jesus. We can expect to flourish because Jesus destroyed this curse of poverty on the cross and imparted to us the abundant blessing of his righteousness. Talk about awe and wonder factor, y'all. How mighty is the name of Jesus. He endured absolute poverty so we would experience his glorious abundance. So it comes to how do then do we access this? Jesus broke the poverty curse on the cross. He unleashed abundant blessing by grace for all who believe. The invitation for abundant living is for all who believe, not the hyper-spiritual or the ones with a less messy past than me. It is for all of us. I want to move forward on the same page. Jesus secured our inheritance, our expectation to flourish, abounding in every area of our lives, is based upon who we believe in, not how we perform. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 sums it up perfectly. For you have experienced the extravagant grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that although he was, made infinite, although he was infinitely rich, he impro- impoverished himself for our sake, so that by his poverty we could become rich beyond measure. Compelled by love and grace, he impoverished himself so that we could share in his abundant riches. 
Jesus secured our inheritance, and it was not through our effort or our merit. It always comes back to the who over the do. For me, that's what sticks in my mind. A.W. Towser wrote, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about ourselves. What we're thinking about God, his nature, his promises, what we think about ourselves, our position in Christ, it is the bedrock of our faith journey. As he tips our chin and we gaze into his eyes, what comes to mind for you? For me, I see oceans of grace as he lovingly looks down at his daughter in whom he delights. So in light of this glorious gospel, because it's glorious, is it not? How then do we access abundance? So some of my type A girls are getting excited, get your pens out, here's the formula, here's the to-do list. I get it, it's so natural, but I hate to tell you, I'm gonna give you the Sunday school answer. We received our inheritance not by means of our due, well-intentioned effort, strict spiritual disciplines, all good, but that's not why we get our inheritance. It is by means of our who, our positioning in Christ. It is who we have believed in. Access to abundance is only granted one way, through our union with Jesus Christ. All who believe in Jesus are united with him. Nothing can separate us from this eternal covenant. We have full access to our inheritance right now. From the moment we believe, we have full access because we're in complete union with Jesus. There is nothing more to do. If you take nothing else out of this talk, remember this. Jesus is our access to abundance. Flourishing comes through abiding, not striving. We hear a lot about rest and, you know, remaining in God's presence, and it's just, it kind of sounds like ambiguous, at least for me it did for many years. But when we abide in constant awareness of our union, personal worship and diving into scripture help lift our gaze into the Father's eyes when the mountains of our circumstances and realities seem daunting. Lack and difficulties are real, and often I've found that for me, they too easily steal my attention. When I am distracted by my need and less aware of my union, I live life limited by fear. When I am distracted by my need and less aware of my union, I live life limited by fear. Many of us know that we're in union with Jesus, but we just don't always feel like it, right? Anyone? We don't always feel like we're in this like, amazing, intimate union with Jesus, especially when times are tough and lack is staring us in the face. Lucky for us, our feelings, our emotions are not the highest indicator of truth. Ladies, if we get like, let's, let's get this. Our emotions are not the highest indicator of truth. For me, worship and the word are the most effective things to bring my emotions back into alignment. Emotions will submit to truth every time. Worship and the word are the most life-giving avenues to bring our emotions back into line and regain our awareness of the one with whom we're united. For me, sometimes when I'm intentionally enjoying the, enjoying the Lord's presence, we're just, you know, hanging out, I like to ask, what would it be like if questions? For me, 
Imagining possibilities heightens my expectation of the miraculous. Sometimes getting out of the meager into the sustaining isn't the hard part. I'm like, I'm in the sustaining, but I can't even conceive of the flourishing. Have you ever felt that way? Like you just can't even conceive of what it would look like to abound in this area. The family dynamic has been so entrenched for so many decades, you can't even imagine everyone like having a joyful Thanksgiving together, you know, let alone like Christmas too. Too much. Sometimes we just can't imagine it. So playing with possibilities, just exercising our imagination, that's so helpful for me. We are daughters of the most imaginative and creative being in the universe. That's our dad. So this is playing with these possibilities and dreaming with the father. It's a fun way to enjoy our union. It's not work, but it is a way we enjoy the one with whom we're united. He loves to dream with us. So I don't know what this looks like for you. Maybe it's journaling during quiet time. For me, in all honesty, um, it's in the shower when I'm most free and creative. <laughs> Go figure. I can't write anything down, but like it just flows. Like, Lord, my dream in the shower. Um, it's like a, going on a date with your main man. Imagining possibilities leads us out of meager expectations and into miraculous ones. You see, I think we were made for more than meager. We were made to live abundantly. And when we do, imagining a possible outcome, not just for ourselves, but for all the people around us, it really excites me. Michelle was talking about how the overflow affects those around us, and it's so true. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 15. I'm putting verses 5 and 7 together, and it is... One of my favorite passages right now. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. If you live, your, if you live in life union with me, if my words live powerfully within you, then you can ask whatever you desire and it will be done. When your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify my Father. I, I can't read it enough. When abundant fruitfulness streams out of our life, it is the demonstration of who our daddy is. It points to him. The glory of abundance is not about self. It's about our Father. That's why he's pretty eager to do it in our lives. And he wants us to tip our gaze. He wants us to look into his, his eyes and see this is who he is. This is his heart for us. No matter what's happened in the past, no matter that A plus B has always equaled C in your life, the Lord wants to intervene. He wants to do something different. He wants to dream with you about a different outcome that will change your life and change your neighborhood and maybe your nation and maybe generations to come because that's what's possible when we live in the fullness of our salvation with overflowing abundance. The fruitfulness of our union has this awe and wonder factor. The overflow means we are living lives that are illogical in the natural. Our flourishing cannot be explained outside of Jesus. That's what we're going for. Like, we want our lives to be explained by Jesus. If we're there, like, that's the dream. And so, like Michelle was saying, as we dream of new possibilities, things that we've been scared of, and what if, and I don't know, it could fail, maybe it's too big. 
that is when God is like, baby girl, trust me. Because the outcome, it has a massive ripple effect. It's more than just about us. Maybe it feels a little bit like selfish to seek greater personal gain or comfort or significance or influence. But in fact, abundance positions us to participate in the greater blessing of giving. When we flourish, we're made rich through the receipt of heavenly blessings that overflow and now become available to the world around us. It's like untapping the water spigots, you know, outside your house. All of a sudden, now something's available in your life that your neighbors need and your kids need and your family needs. Giving from the overflow is the greater blessing afforded by abundance. This world is desperate for peace, hungry for hope, in need of ceaseless joy. And that is what the Lord's presence brings. I said in the bumper video how refresh is always a kind of a landmark time for me. There's, there's things that the Lord settles or heal, heals or reveals to me during this conference. And that's why my husband and I, we plan our year around this. We don't travel anywhere close to March because this is where I need to be. And he thinks I need to be. It's good. Um, for me, one of those hallmark moments was when I heard Susan Hillis preach. It's one of the first refreshes, and she talked about choosing joy. She's talking about choosing joy, living in ceaseless joy in the midst of losing a child. I can't think of anyone who has a greater excuse to not live in overflowing joy than a mom who's lost a child. But because of her union with Jesus, that's what she has access to. That changed my life. I realized something's available that I didn't know. No one had told me was available through my union with Jesus. It's illogical in the natural The overflow that God rains down on us becomes our greater blessing because it's what he's given us to steward to a hurting and needy world. If you're asking God for just your own needs, I get it. We want to be sustained and satisfied, but I'm telling you we're asking too little. Add the zero, up the ante, go big, go shameless in your prayers because when we experience abundance, we have something to give away. The overflow allows us to start addressing the real big challenges in our families, in our neighborhoods and communities, in our nations. I love this verse. Paint such a beautiful picture. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 and 15. I'll just read it to you. Thanks be to God who has led us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved. Our life is a pleasing aroma for those around us because we overflow in peace. When the world says, you're excused, you don't have to be. You get to be angry or or frustrated or whatever for, for long periods of time because your circumstances warrant it. But in Christ, in our union with him, there's something greater afforded to us. So the question is, how much do you want? Just enough for yourself? What if we expected more? A wave that overflows. Is there an area in your life where you've experienced lack? Maybe for a long time to the point that it hurts. It's a tender spot in your heart. The Lord wants to overflow. We must model a supernatural way of living to a world bound up in lack and fear and limitations and impossibilities outside of Christ.
You were made for more than meager. You were made to live abundantly. Tonight, God wants to dislodge a lie in your life that meager is your portion and establish an expectation for abundance. So where do you find yourself on the spectrum? Are you, do you feel like that wilting plant just barely surviving? Or maybe you're sustaining, you just have enough for every day, but you're like, I just, I never have anything extra to give away for the people around me who are likewise frustrated and dealing with hard things. Tonight, I'd like to stand together and pray and agree with what's already been accomplished because it's, it's not that there's something new that's going to happen. This is all this work has been done on the cross 2,000 years ago. It's just understanding. It's just having someone tell you this is part of what Jesus did when he died. He defeated the grave and rose to heaven. So tonight, if you'd stand with me, I want to stand in expectation of abundance. So take a minute, think about what is that for you? Where have you connected and said, there's a lack for me. Maybe it's in friendship. Maybe you're just lonely. Maybe it's encouragement. Discouragement has been your friend for far too long. Whatever that area is for you, wherever you are confronted by lack, external limitations or internal insecurities, fear or lies, we say no more. We stand in confidence in our union with Jesus. To, for, for me tonight, I'm standing with abundant expectation of creativity. There's dreams that I don't see how they could come to pass in the natural. I want creative ideas and strategies from the Lord. I have an expectation for an overflow of creative ideas tonight. Let's agree with what Jesus has already done on the cross for us. So keep that in mind, and we're just going to come before the Lord. God, we raise our eyes, and we look to you, refreshed by your presence, encouraged by the truth of your gospel, Lord. Lord, we hand over the fears. We let go of the lies. We're pushing past the limitations. Jesus, we are looking into your eyes, saying we know who you are. We know what you did. And we love this union with you, Jesus. Your presence heals us. Your presence gives us hope for the first time in so long. Your presence gives us courage to say yes to every one of your invitations, Lord. Jesus, tonight, would you do what only you can do? Would you heal us and restore us? Would you bind up the brokenness? And as you exchanged the curse of poverty on the cross, would you exchange all of that pain, all of those lies, the untruths, the, the heavy weights we've carried for far too long, Jesus? And we receive the right of our inheritance that you secured for us on the cross, Jesus. We receive abundant peace, just like a blanket that you're putting over us, peace. We receive joy, laughter that becomes the hallmark of our homes and our workplaces. People begin to describe us as the really joyful lady, sort of annoying because we laugh so much. Make us that woman, Lord, because that is your heart. We want the world around us to see your glory in our lives, God, and we will not back down. We will not settle for meager because we know we were made for more. We were made to radiate your glory, Lord. Jesus, we just are aware again tonight of what you've done. 
and we thank you for what you've accomplished and we receive the inheritance you came to give us, Jesus, in all fullness. Lord, lift our gaze, widen our expectations, Father. Fill us with confidence that your word is true, that we can live by every promise we find in your word. Lord, continue to speak to us this week in Jesus. We are listening. You have our ear. You have our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. You are life. You are life that overflows. We love you, Lord. Amen.